Hello, and welcome to Hindsight 3030. I'm Rob Durkee, an educator turned artist navigating life after Plan A didn't work out. I'm Corbin Knight-Dixon, sex educator, activist, trauma expert, and meme admirer figuring out this whole self-care thing. And I'm Tatsu Shigeta, a cognitive neuroscientist, an exercise enthusiast, and a lover of a good sizzle and edge. We're three friends in our 30s exploring ideas, ethics, and big questions that other people want to know about, but for some reason, just don't talk about. Welcome to the first episode, What Happened to COVID 1 through 18. Since this is our first episode, uh, here's a housekeeping things to know. Uh, we're going to be publishing through Anchor, which is going to release our episodes on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, if all goes as planned. Uh, and we're just figuring it out as we go. And we want your feedback. Um, we can talk all day long, but you know we want to know about what you want to hear. Um, later on, we'll be talking about um, what you can expect in, in our future episodes as well. So let's get started with the show. All right, first episode. Let's do this. Hey. 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 All right. So um, welcome to our first episode uh, titled, What Happened to COVID 1 through 18? Because, you know, how can you just skip to 19 like that? You know, people want answers. And in all seriousness, this first episode is about COVID-19 because... I don't think we'd be having this conversation on this podcast today if it weren't for what we were currently going through. Right. Um, and today we're going to be talking through some of the tough conversations that we've been having in the context of COVID. Um, and then we'll be previewing some, some things to come uh, from Hindsight 3030 from here on out. Yes, sir. Exciting stuff. Uh, but before we get started, though, does anybody know why it's actually called COVID-19? It's a good question. So I, I looked this up and I didn't know, actually, uh, and I saw some Fox or conservative radio person say that they thought it was because there was one to 18 different COVID strains. Um, but actually, it was named COVID-19 because that's the specific strain that was discovered. So COVID-19 is a novel disease that, would that was discovered in 2019. So uh, fun fact. Yeah, no, novel, <laughs> novel disease, but not a super novel naming convention. Nope. So is COVID then, is that coronavirus disease? Is that what the, is it like sort of a semi pseudo acronym, if you will? So let's see there, you know, there's some nerdy shit here about clarifying the difference between a disease um, and then a virus. And so COVID-19, I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> so no. Okay. So actually when we're talking about the difference between a disease and a virus, um, COVID-19 is a disease. A disease is something that is causing harm to your, yourselves. Uh, and a lot of times public health experts um, discuss things around prevention, spread, transmittability, um, treatment. So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about a disease. When we're talking about a virus, we're talking about the stuff, uh, the elements of transmittability. So uh, the specific virus name is SARS-CoV-2, which uh, for some reason stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome or something like that. And I think a useful comparison is, is HIV and AIDS. So uh, HIV is the virus, so human immunodeficiency virus. HIV is the virus that can lead to AIDS, uh, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So I, I like that comparison because I think that we're talking about virus being something that's transmittable, 
um, that you may or may not get, but it turns into a disease, hence coronavirus disease. Um, when it's maybe doing something to your cells, if it's being transmitted to other people, um, or if it's actually causing cellular damage and people experience that on a really wide spectrum of, of, of symptoms. Some people have really mild symptoms as, we, as we've heard in the news, and some people have um, really, really severe or potentially fatal symptoms. I like that HIV AIDS analogy a lot. That's helpful. All right. That's what I'm here for. Cool. Um, well, good to know. Good stuff. Before we dig into COVID a little more, let's talk about how we got here. So even though, you know, pandemic's been a big nightmare worldwide, um, there have been some good things that have come out of this, right? So um, one of them is that many of us are kind of reconnecting with our people, and we're no different. Um, Rob Corbin and I have been friends pretty much since middle school. So, you know, does anybody want to share um, a quick excerpt from our pu- pre-pubescent days? Maybe our fantastic hairstyles? <laughs> I, I think that, Tatsi, you had the most variety in hairstyles in uh, middle school and high school. I, I definitely did. Um, I, I, I was pretty keen on uh, growing my hair out and then buzzing it all off. So I definitely did that. The longest <laughs> my hair has ever been when I really kind of poofed out. Um, I broke my ankle and decided to shave it all off as as uh, something that was pretty profound. Had such a nice, like, wavy mane. Yeah. I miss it sometimes. Yeah, I know you guys also had some, some fun dudes. Rob actually recently told me about The Rob, a haircut that I gave to him, apparently. <laughs> Which you, you must have just suppressed because it you, you fucked it up so bad that it traumatized you. <laughs> but it was a nice little moment where my mom would try to cut my hair all the time, and I completely hated it. So Tatsu volunteered once, and I thought, you know, how bad could it be? He's got this. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, it was it was okay, except for he cut the bangs, like, in line with my forehead so i had like an arc shaped cut like semicircle. i don't know it's it's pretty impossible to capture it in words but um you know it was it was a look for a while it was a look i never had my hair cut by either of you but <laughs> i did have some pressured frosted tips so i think my sophomore year of high school 15 years old i had some leftovers of whatever boy bands were doing and uh you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So all that to say, we've known each other for a while. Indeed. But, you know, as inseparable as we were back in, you know, middle school, high school, you know, we definitely um, were vic- victims of time and distance, right? Um, it's hard to stay in touch when when you're in your 20s, especially, you know, when you live across the country as, as we do from each other. So what it came down to is, you know, an occasional text. Um, you might start a text thread and, you know, share some good news or, or some funny gifts or something like that. We really hadn't been able to keep in close contact. Um, Corbin, I know you, um, at the start of all of this, uh, you were talking about, you know, feeling the need to keep your people close. So, uh, yeah, you know, I wanted to start this conversation, um, you know, so I teach, I'm a sex educator, I teach human sexuality, and I know my college students were going through a lot of worry right now, right, about what does COVID mean? Um, I live in New York City, and so we're seeing this in a really real way. And so I was teaching them about the intersection of achievement, pleasure, and worry, and really kind of talking about the need for connection to celebrate achievement and, and to experience pleasure. 
And so it just made me really think about who are the people that have kind of always been there and who have haircut stories like this <laughs> and the, the people that, you know, I wanted to connect to. I actually found a quote out quote I was watching and trying to finish Netflix like everybody else. Um, and this is from Sex Education, Education, which is a show on Netflix. And this quote is from um, one of the father characters. And he's talking to, your, to his son. And he says, when you're young, you think that everybody out there really, really gets you. But you know, actually only a handful of them do. All the people who like you despite your faults. And then if you discard them, they will never come back. So when you meet those people, you should just hold on to them really, really tightly and don't let them go. And, you know, so I've been trying to say, like, you know, that's not cheesy or whatever more, because uh, I think part of the conversation that we've been having as friends is to, like, embrace the fact that um, if we've decided, like, hey, we've been friends for a long time and now is the time to kind of embrace the relationship that we share. I know that's big, been a big kind of precursor to this conversation just generally and making sure that we're checking in on each other and having kind of what we said at the start, those tough conversations that other people seem to avoid having. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was no surprise when we, when we finally got together virtually that we ended up chatting for hours, you know, like we, you feel like you forget why you choose your people in the first place. Right. You know, we basically, the three of us, we can pick up, you know, right where we left off, um, anytime. And, and, you know, this time, uh, given the circumstances and where we're at in life, we really felt like doing something, um, to keep this going. So, you know, that's why we decided to start this pod. Um, right, Rob? Yes, hundred percent. And I, I have to say for me, Personally, I find myself in a in a couple circles right now with a bunch of people that don't take the situation as seriously. Um, so they're not as concerned of uh, the health risks, and uh, they just want everything to open back up now. And they are still spending time together. And I can't really turn to them to relate with me on this because they are on the other side of the fence. So it's been a huge outlet and boon for me to have you guys and. Uh, the ability to connect like this and, and just have these conversations and get this stuff off my chest. Also, I want to disclaim that uh, there's a quote or a meme floating around somewhere talking about uh, dear white men in your thirties, please stop making podcasts. And that's sort of been in the back of my mind the whole time we've been doing this because I often look at the list of podcasts that I subscribe to and I browse for new ones from time to time. And I'm just like, man, why would anybody why does anybody want to listen to this? And so then I've put us under that same lens as we begin this endeavor. And I'm thinking, well, why does anybody want to listen to us? Cause we're just friends talking, but it's more than that. We have a, an ability to communicate and have conversations with each other that are informed by years and years of weathering the same events together. And, and all of our different perspectives kind of combine to give us this outlet and um and we wanted to just make that available to others that might not be reaching those same depths of conversation with other humans okay gents so there are some specific <laughs> conversations we've had in the last month uh, over zoom happy hours and uh, planning calls that we wanted to to bring to this episode so the big theme i really wanted to kick us off on is exper experiencing and managing worry or uh, toxic stress, um, and I know Corbin's kind of the kind of the expert of the group um, talking about this. But 
just ask a question. Uh, what are the worries that are coming up for people that you think that you or others aren't talking about? So uh, I do consider myself somewhat of an expert in understanding toxic stress and trauma. And I guess just first to acknowledge, and I want to get back to the core question, but to acknowledge that this event in of, of itself is potentially traumatic for people. If ever you were in spaces that were worried that um, we face death, serious injury or harm, um, I think that that can be traumatic. And so that's just what I would start with. I know for me that my biggest worry that came up in this crisis, you know, I certainly worried about my own health. I'm an asthmatic. There's been promising research about asthma and COVID. But, you know, there was just some general worry about, am I going to be okay? And then I really felt it after I lost... Um, a job and then one of my main consulting gigs. And so I think that we've had some great conversation just about financial worry. And what does this mean for my ability to keep an apartment and pay my bills? And so that became a real worry. That's not just, I think a lot of people talk about COVID as like a hypothetical worry and they don't have those specific examples of people facing some tough shit. And um, I think to an, a sense that I thought I wouldn't face some tough shit. And uh, it wasn't the health stuff, which I'm so grateful for um, as of today, but uh, definitely the financial stuff went through. And I think that caused some real worry versus some hypothetical yeah, worry. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you had some really good points there. Um, definitely each one of us, maybe we're not impacted at, in the same magnitude as, as other people are. Um, I know, you know, reading or listening to some experts at the beginning, they were talking about, you know, where we're going to get to in terms of number of people that are affected. And, you know, they were saying that we're going to get to the point where you're going to know somebody, um, maybe not super close to you, but somebody that's going to be impacted by this, this virus, this disease. Um, and you might even know somebody that's died. Um, I know that's, true for me. Um, I don't know about for you guys, but, um, that's, yeah, that's, it's, it's really crazy how far we've come with this. Um, but even if you're not affected directly by it in that way, you know, we all have these worries and they're not trivial. All right, Rob, um, how are you feeling about all this? So I can relate to much of what Corbin was saying. Uh, my work is, I'm a, I'm a graphic designer. And so my work is significantly less like people focused, but I, I've, I've gone through like transitioning from working full-time in an office to trying to work from full-time at home and all of the like baggage that comes along with that, because just trying to get into that same mentality when you're rolling, when you're rolling out of bed is really difficult. Uh, but luckily I'm still mostly financially stable after all of this. And, um, I can get side work through just doing commissions or things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm really fortunate to have some flexibility here as far as being directly impacted with the condition itself or with people I know. Um, I don't, I don't know anyone that has directly gotten it, but I do know, um, some folks that ha like, so I, a lot of my partner's family are nurses and they are all working in environments that are heavily impacted by this. And, so that's scary, uh, but luckily, even the people I know are still separated enough that it's not uh, an emergency yet, but it's dangerously close. And uh, I also know a lot of people that are, like I mentioned earlier, just not taking it as seriously because it's not 
happening to them yet. And they don't have the ability to see beyond like their immediate situation, which I can understand because if you don't have previous incidences that cause you to think that way, why would you like, if you're healthy and your, yeah. your immediate family is healthy, you know, yeah, maybe they go to work and, and are exposed to it, but if they're not actually sick, then I feel like there's just a lack of, of urgency surrounding all that. Well, and I think that there's something to, so we didn't say earlier, but the three of us are each in major cities. So Rob's in Chicago, Tatsu's in Boston. Um, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. And so there is something to, as I think about worry, I think that we're in proximities that we're actually seeing this impact people in different ways. Um, and I talked to, you know, I have family members in Texas and I have family members in um, downstate Illinois. And I think that I do talk to folks or I see people in their network not treating it seriously. You know, my family has been, but you see people that aren't treating this seriously because they don't know somebody that has been impacted. They're not um, like one of us where, you know, I have a coworker who lost an uncle or uh, a, a student that lost their parent. And so they're not seeing it because they're not in the, these condensed places. And then that's where you start to see the wild stuff online about people treating it like it's a joke and really not truly understanding the science of how um, a virus like this spreads. Yeah, and kind of people. going off like how it might impact people, right? Um, I think a good topic that we can talk about is kind of how grief and, and death um, and how that, you know, how the worry of that really kind of affects people. Um, I don't know uh, what your thoughts were on that, Corbin. I've been thinking a lot, even prior to all of this, about our societal need for grief education. You know, we all are going to face grief at some point in our life. Many of us have faced grief personally in our own lives. And um, I think that you know, there's kind of this hesitancy to talk about death. And there's someone that I can't remember who I'm quoting, but they say that most people don't fear um, death, they fear dying, they fear the act of dying. But we don't have conversations in public discourse about death. And we don't talk about what it might feel like to experience it. And I think that we need to do more of that. Yeah. Um, speaking as, as someone who has personally lost quite a few family members over the last five to 10 years, um, this whole situation definitely brings to mind that there's a, a super overwhelming lack of resources for coping with grief. And it's just sort of swept under the rug in my opinion. Um, and then in a, in a sort of morbid way, it makes me a little bit less worried and afraid of people I know possibly dying because it's just happened to me so many times that it's like, I know, how to kind of go through the the motions when this happens and now whether or not that's healthy, that's a whole other episode, I think, but just from the perspective of someone that's lost people, like this situation is a little bit less frightening because I've just had to go through that so many times. And it's just sort of an interesting uh, feeling that I've been having. Yeah. You know, I was on a call earlier this week um, for work and I was talking to somebody that had to cancel a wedding um, because of all of this. And when we were talking, we started talking about toxic positivity and this kind of message that we're almost over, uh, uh, we're over told just like everything's going to be all right. Right. Or everything happens for a reason. And I guess what frustrates me is that when we're talking about grief and loss, um, those are valid emotions. And those are things that sometimes people don't feel like everything's going to be all right. 
um, or that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes people feel like this happened and it sucks and they need to process that. So I don't think that toxic positivity uh, is helping everybody. I think that we need to start having conversations like this to talk about how grief might feel and how we go through um, that experience. Because if we don't give people that knowledge and skills, then they're unprepared for when it's going to happen, whether it's currently during this current crisis um, or no, another. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think it's something that comes up for us um, as, as 30 year olds now getting to a point in life where we really have to start thinking about these things because, um, you know, they're not terribly far off. Um, anything can happen, obviously, um, especially in a situation like we are now, but you know, we have to start thinking about like, you know, when our parents are, are inevitably going to die, like, you know, what we have to do. Um, and it's definitely something that we haven't really had to focus on up to this point. Right. But once you've started adulting, um, as, as we, we've had, so to speak, um, it kind of starts to get highlighted, but yeah, Corbin, I think you're absolutely right. That these are things that we have to start talking about, um, and just kind of make, um, a little more transparent to really kind of move forward. Yeah, as a, an eternal optimist, I found that that often runs into direct conflict with reality. <laughs> and so that makes it tough to to stay positive. But at, on the same token, I'm aware that if I'm too positive, it kind of blinds me from what's actually happening. And it's, it's just a, a difficult line to straddle sometimes. All right, so just to kind of wrap up this section... You know, we, we've definitely covered some good stuff talking about worry and stress. Um, and I think moving forward, um, we can start talking about, you know, um, what are things that we've thought about in terms of, of coping and, and self-care um, and how can we, you know, individually be resilient? All right. So now that we've kind of covered a lot about um you know, worry and stress. I was wondering, Corbin, um, what are some things you've been doing to kind of get by um, and cope with uh, what's been happening with COVID? Yeah. So, you know, I guess personally, something that I've been trying to do is practice more mindfulness and practice a little bit more presence. Um, I, I think that that's been really important. And I try and teach to my students the difference between normal worry. And I think I said earlier, hypothetical worry. So like normal worry is that an example is like, oh, I lost a side gig. What is that going to mean for me paying my bills? Hypothetical worry is like I lost a side gig and everything is going to just fall apart. Um, or I, you know, went to the grocery store uh, and someone walked too close to me. A hypothetical worry is that because they walked too close to me, I'm going to get COVID and die. Um, so I've been really trying to, to have that self-check about, and if I'm practicing mindfulness and trying to be present, which doesn't work all the time for me, I have to definitely uh, make it kind of like a routine. Um, but if I don't do that, I can find myself going down the track of hypothetical worry. And so just having the ability to name that, I think, has been really useful. Yeah. So to kind of echo a little bit of that line of thinking, Corbin, um, I've recently been thinking a lot about the idea that of, of mindfulness and just this is a bit oversimplified but <clears throat> essentially if you are constantly stuck in the past and thinking about stuff that is done and over with um that's the root of being depressed and on the flip side if you are loaded down with hypothetical worry and you're panicking about the future that creates anxiety 
And so the only moment where you are really safe, so to speak, is in the present. And so I'm just trying to find ways to really anchor myself to the day-to-day, which can be difficult because so many days are so similar and they tend to bleed together. And um, learning how to take this journey of figuring out how to keep myself moving and active and hopeful and, and not busy, but just occupied, I guess, has been challenging and rewarding, but I, I've been doing uh, a lot of writing. I do morning pages now, uh, a couple pages of just ver- like word vomit in the morning. Uh, and I try to do some journaling and writing down gratitude and lots of lists to just organize everything that's in my brain so that it doesn't have to stay in my brain. That's been huge for me. I really like the, I like the comparison of a symptom of depression could be ruminating on the past and things that have gone wrong in the past and being stuck there and anxiety being panicking or having panic around the future. So I just like that comparison. I definitely relate to that. Yeah. No, uh, Tatsu, um, what have you been doing? You guys bring up a lot of good points. Um, and I think something that I can kind of, um, harp on that Rob was talking about really is kind of coming up with your routine, right? Um, one thing that's helped me, I think, especially when you're, when you're stuck inside, except for, you know, uh, essentials or, or maybe going out for the occasional run here and there, um, is really kind of getting into a routine. I know that I'm the type of person, I know Corbin's probably similar as well. You know, we're, we're kind of morning people. We like to get up in the morning, make a little breakfast, um, and, you know, do a little reading or watch something to kind of get the brain going. Um, and, you know, being somebody that, that, um, is into, to exercise and, and kind of liking liking to better myself um in different ways um i like to get into a routine so you know once i get some amount of work done you know my 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 routines really kind of come down to okay i'm going to get one thing done um maybe it won't go go as far as i'd like it to but then i can move on to my next thing um and and working in you know whether it's your your meditation or or yoga or um, your run, you, you kind of want to work to it and just maintain some sort of routine. Um, because I find that now that we've been over a month in quarantine, the days that are kind of lows for me are when I really kind of fall out of my routine. Um, I really find that, you know, on days that I can really, um, stick to it and be productive, like I feel the best about, uh, about what I've ac- accomplished. So I'm really trying to work on, um, being better about that. Rob, what about you for, I just wonder, you know, you talked about writing and I just think of you um, as somebody who's an artist. And so I'm just curious what has come up for you about routines or things that you have felt to to kind of be useful or to feel like you're able to be artistic. Have there been different things or strategies that you've been using to kind of feel connected to your art in ways? Yeah, I've just been, well, first of all, I should say that I have actually kind of been struggling with crafting a a steady routine and sticking to it because so much of what was part of my routine is not doable anymore. Uh, I don't get up and leave to go to work. I don't get up and leave the apartment to go to the gym. I don't leave to visit friends. So it all kind of revolved around me being away for certain times and then coming back and having time here to do specific things. And so (laughs) you would think that with like 
all of the hours of the day available to me now, it would be even easier to sort of capitalize on that. But I, I've, I've been, to answer your question, I've just been trying to slot out time to just do something, even if it sucks. That's a favorite creative quote I have is like, make something today, even if it sucks. Cause you still made something, you're still moving the needle forward. And so it's been just sort of a, a wake up call for me to structure my time a little bit more. Uh, and I've been doing some, been doing plenty of projects for work. Um, and that is creative to an extent, but it's always got parameters. Um, but it's, it's been nice for me to be home and just have a different environment when I'm, when I'm making things. Cause it just kind of informs my thought process a little bit differently. And then I've just been sketching and, and just working on doodles and trying to improve there uh, just a little bit every day because it's just always in the back of my mind that it's something that normally I would be striving to get more done with. And then I shouldn't let that go out the window just because the time's not as organized. Um, so I wish I had a better yeah. report on that front because so many people I know are really capitalizing on it, but I, I'm not yet. Well, and I think that that's, you know, and, and maybe this will come up in another episode, but I think that there's also just something to that in of, of itself, right. That like, you know, you see lots of posts about like, this is the time for you to be your most productive you without the realization that, you know, what we were talking about earlier is that people are facing real worry. They're facing real trauma, facing real concern. And so this idea that in this current, I hate saying unprecedented, but unprecedented uh, time, that this is when we're going to be the most productive. Like it really makes me question um, kind of our values around, labor and production and productivity um because i know some people that they're like nope this is the time that uh, i need to sleep <laughs> for an extra three hours a night uh because because i'm going i'm going through it or people are, are homeschooling their kids or teaching their kids from home or working with partners or doing other things that are just uh taxing and and so yeah so i just wanted to say that about the productivity piece we as people, we're, we're not used to this new new environment that we find ourselves in, you know, when we're working remotely um, and having to communicate virtually. It's a whole different dynamic, a whole different type of relationship that you have to have with these different people. And I think, you know, one of the hard things in a, in a work environment is the expectations um, because you're so, you know, you can be so available when it's virtual. I think people kind of mistake that as, you know, you have more time, um, mm. you don't have other things going on. So you can be working on these things. And um, I know I've talked to a lot of people that feel like they've been micromanaged and, and that, you know, their, their bosses, the administration has just been getting it completely wrong. I, yeah, I, I really think it comes from a place of, you know, not, not trying to understand the other person at the other end and not, realizing that there are other things going on. It's, it's not just about productivity. Um, yeah, we're, a, living in, we're living in a time of crisis, you know? For sure. There's a ton of short-sightedness, I yeah. guess. Uh, and, yeah. and I don't want to go so far as to say ignorance. There is some ignorance, but a lot of people just not seeing it from the other person's point of view. And also, like, the uncertainty is just so crazy that, like, it's, it is unprecedented. Like we have not been through this in our lifetime and we don't know how to cope with it because there's no standard. Like some people are taking to it better than others, but we just don't have a template that says, here's how you should live your life. And you've got 500 different people telling you 500 different things every day. And uh, it's, it's tough. Like we're all doing the best we can, I think. 
we're talking about self-care or just management, what do you feel like in like just one example strategy um, that you feel like has been really useful? So I'll give an example. So one strategy that I've found to be really useful for, for me, I have attention issues. I can get distracted easily. So I've been setting like either like 20 minute or six minute timers um, just ongoing, like throughout the day when I'm trying to be up and being productive just to focus on one thing. And so if it's 20 minutes of like doing a work project that I'm trying to just focus on that, mm-hmm. if it's 20 minutes of playing my zombie apocalypse game, like it's just 20 minutes on that, but it's not like 20 minutes of going between social media and email and Twitter and then the zombie game and then rinse and repeat because I find that it just made me feel really um, heightened. You know, my, my adrenaline was just going and like I was checking all these different things and I was exhausted. Um, so that's something that I've done. I just started doing this a few days ago because I couldn't find anything else that worked, but picking something and saying, I'm going to do this every day at this time, because I know since I'm working from home, I can make my own schedule and I can always be free at X time. And so something as simple as reading a book for an hour at the same time every day and just building in these structured uses of time and then sort of my plan is to add on to that. So let's say if I'm going to start reading a book every day at two o'clock in the afternoon, then if that goes well and I can do that consistently for a few days, then I say, okay, then I'm going to exercise at three when I'm done. And so the book just turns into the next thing. And I don't know how successful I'll be with kind of planning my whole day like that. But I find that when I just have a few anchors to rally around, um, it gets, it gets easier for me. Yeah, no. And I absolutely agree. I mean, I don't have anything specific in terms of strategies, but for me, I, I feel like I pick, I pick one thing for, for me to accomplish that, that day, something that's tangible, um, something that I know I can do. Um, that's not necessarily the most complex thing. Um, if I accomplish it and I feel like I can go on and do something more complex, then that's great. But I, I don't have to, you know, and, and I, I try to do that as a way of setting a goal that I can accomplish um, because, you know, in times like these, having a sense of accomplishment really is kind of, I feel like what, what we need in our lives um, since it's, it's hard when you're not able to go anywhere um, to really kind of accomplish something. I think that going back to what was said earlier, that those accomplishments don't have to be starting a podcast like or <laughs> writing an article or doing something massive at work or in your personal life. I think that those accomplishments mm-hmm. for some people, like for some people, frankly, it's just like you got yeah. out of bed. And that can be an accomplishment. And if that's where you're at, then celebrate. <laughs> I felt very um, good the first time I yeah. put on jeans. What were you going to say, Ron? <laughs> after like three weeks. And I, I only did that because I had to actually go into the office because we do a printing press in-house. And I was the only person there. And uh, it was a little weird, but I felt like a real person again. <laughs> and it's so, so easy to feel like, we're not doing enough or anything. Uh, so having like my brother likes to say, build off small wins. And that's a, a mantra that applies to sort of every aspect. And so if you can just get something done, that is the foundation for you to do something else. And there's no requirement or scale on any of that for any of us right now, but it's 
it's really difficult to feel like we're doing anything uh, sometimes. So we've we've covered a lot of good things here, um, and we we hope that you know people can kind of take from what we've talked about and 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 really kind of apply it to their own lives. We've given some strategies and and really brought up some topics. I think that people don't talk about um, that needs to be talked about. But I, I'd like to kind of wrap up the segment. Um, you know, Rob, you touched about putting pants on, but I'd like to. Uh, wrap up this segment with something funny uh, that we've done in quarantine that we wouldn't usually do. So one thing for me is um, for a long time, I think for maybe three or four weeks, um, I just didn't wear deodorant. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it was great. Um, You know, (laughs) I, I felt free and all that, but yeah, I think after like three weeks, I finally felt like, okay, I'm, I'm smelling a little too much. Let's get, <laughs> let's get back to a routine. Um, so I've, I've now started wearing a little more deodorant. When else would you get to fuck around with that though? You know, that's true. Um, <laughs> what's something that you've done, Corbin? You know, I already had an unhealthy relationship with <laughs> this, this talking with my dogs business. Uh, and I do have a, a partner at home, but it's just gotten way worse and way weirder. Like I'm talking as both of my dogs and responding as them. And I don't know what that means. It's, pro- it's probably not, it, it, you know, I think it's fine. It's fine. So having a lot of interesting conversations about what they might be thinking. I have been with them longer than I've ever been with them before. And they're, you know, our oldest <laughs> dog's 11 years old. So I think that we're just learning a lot That's about sweet. each other in this current, current context. And they're, they're telling me a lot of stuff. All right, for this part, we're going to talk about, um, or each person will reintroduce themselves, um, talk about where they live currently, what they do, um, what they hope to talk about in hindsight 3030. Rob, do you want to start us off? Sure, yeah. Um, So my name is Rob Durkee. I started out as a music educator uh, in Chicago. I taught for a while and decided that it really wasn't for me, um, and I did uh, a little bit of studying for uh, graphic design and digital media and worked as a freelancer for a number of years while traveling in a rock band, uh, which also folded. And then I ended up looking for full-time design work and it took me a while to get where I am, but I made it. uh, And I I work for a a communications company now and my primary responsibility is publishing an engineering magazine. So I get content, I do the layout, uh, I do the covers and, uh, the photography and everything. And then we, uh, print it in-house. And so that's sort of my bag right now. Um, I live in the suburbs after having lived downtown for 10 years, I'm hoping to just talk about things from the perspective of someone who, uh, was an educator. Although my experience with that is limited and anything having to do with creativity and, uh, changing careers. Cause I know that's a big thing for, Millennials now is just not following the the path that was ordained for them or like picking the thing you want to do for the rest of your life when you're fucking 18 years old. So uh, that's sort of the lens that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. So, um, of course, I'm Tatsu. Um, I live in Boston now um, by ways of Illinois. I lived in Illinois for 16 years. Um, I did my undergrad there, my master's as well. Now I've moved across the country and, and in 23rd grade. 
Um, yeah, PhD coming up on my last year. Um, but basically, I study how exercise affects the brain. So I have a lot of interest in things like personal health and how that can affect um, kind of things uh, going on upstairs, um, how we can improve ourselves mentally, um, physically. These are all things that I'm super interested in. So through this show, I, I'd like to um, you know, really kind of be able to bring a, a, a scientist aspect, a researcher aspect um, to really touch on real issues that uh, we can think about a little bit further, look a little more deeply in and um, see if we can maybe apply these things to our life. So Corbin, um, what about you? So as I said earlier, my name is Corbin Knight-Dixon and I've worn a lot of different hats. Uh, you know, I guess I primarily describe myself as a sex educator. Um, I just turned 30. I've been teaching sex ed since I was 15. Uh, I've been an activist for a long time. And I consider myself to be a trauma expert in the sense that while I'm not a psychologist, I've done a lot of work around trauma and specifically working with classroom teachers and social workers around how they can improve trauma responsive practice in their work, uh, both in the classroom with one-on-one -on -one clients, but also thinking on kind of a macro level about how we can be trauma responsive and acknowledge the impact that trauma has in communities and in institutions. That's a bit of my background. I spend my days working, um, doing specifically uh, sexuality education, trauma work as a consultant, also working with a nonprofit. Uh, I teach human sexuality at a college in the Bronx. And then I side gig. So I teach at, you know, private schools. I train teachers uh, pri primarily around sexuality topics, but also just how to be an effective facilitator uh, and to center important topics like equity and disability justice and racial justice, undoing white supremacy. All of those are really kind of passion areas of mine. And, you know, I think that some things that we don't talk about that I really want to explore on the pod are just those topics at, at, in their own right. But then also when you have a career that you really love, um, and I really do love my career, I wrote about this this morning, is that you can love your career and you can still experience toxic stress from it. Um, and I think a lot of us don't talk about, and I know a lot of other folks, friends, you guys, other friends that we have, that they have jobs that are they're, they're passionate about but the stress level makes it to where it's actually causing them harm. Um, so I often describe myself as a recovering workaholic because <laughs> I often found myself working because it was a, a labor of love and I thought it was an important, or it continues to be important work. But I really want to explore not just the topics, but also how people that are doing people work or helper work, um, how they can take care of themselves um, while they're doing so much to support other people. Cool. All good stuff. Um, so I, I think that based on, you know, um, what we all talked about there, it really kind of uh, hints at, um, you know, we're all guys in our 30s that have, you know, different career paths, uh, different kind of specialties um, and, and things that we can dive a little bit deeper on. Um, but that really kind of touches on the title, Hindsight 30-30. So Really, we think that we can bring a perspective from being, you know, um, guys in the 30s to kind of look back on, you know, what we've done so far, provide that perspective and really kind of touch on these topics from that lens. 
would you guys say that that kind of covers it? Yeah, for sure. It's it's about looking back and learning and absorbing new stuff every day and, and getting better at understanding. And And I think that, you know, for me, a takeaway without being judgmental of the fact, but my hindsight moment in all of this and starting this conversation is I wish we started conversations like this earlier and you can't change the past. Right. But I think that it's a really unique opportunity, whether it's for you all listening or if it's just for us as three people who um, care about the world and are trying to do good work and to take care of ourselves and one another that we can have these conversations now. All right. Um, well, this has all been very awesome. Uh, any final thoughts or words before we close this up? I want to just quickly let you guys know we're going to be publishing through Anchor, which is going to push our episodes to uh, iTunes, to Google Play, uh, I think Stitcher. <laughs> There's going to be places where you can find this that make it easily accessible. Uh, we're grateful that you've joined us. If you want to find us, on uh, Instagram, Corbin and I are on at Rob Durkey Designs. Corbin is at Corbin KD, right? Yep. Okay, and then Tatsu is not on Instagram yet, but you may join if it is necessary. We're peer pressure. We're peer pressure into it. <laughs> we'll we're see what happens. Yeah, and then if you get a chance to listen to this and you want to give us a like or a share or a subscription, we're just doing it to try to get some information out into the world that some people are looking for. We are currently yeah. working on the next episode and we're excited to share it with you. All right. Well, for Corbin Knight Dixon, Rob Durkey and me, Tatsu Shigeta, this has been Hindsight 3030. Thanks y'all. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We make dreams. We make dreams come true. What if we did? Uh, bunch, of, bunch of fucking genies.